Here's a little tester for you. Without looking at your bulletin, what's Beacon Church's purpose statement? What are we here for? Living, living. Who's, who's taking sneaky peeks? Uh, living life Jesus' way, by his spirit, on his mission, for his glory. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? We'll find out a little bit more of what that looks like today. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And I shall pray, because I need it. We always need it, don't we? Always need his help. Lord, once again, we're opening up your word. And we don't want to treat it lightly. Lord, we want to treat it reverently, with awe, with joy, with surprise, with delight. Lord, someone said recently, if we haven't read your word for a while, we shouldn't feel guilty, we should just feel hungry. And Lord, may that always be the case for us, that we just hunger to know more of you. And we're eager to delve deep into your word, to find out what it means for us, to know more of you, to learn more about you, to realise more of what you've done for us. Because you are everything. Even if we don't feel like it, you are our all in all. We have to depend on you, there's no other way. So help us once again, as we read from your word. May you reveal yourself to us. Your word is your revelation, it's not just an instruction manual. It's a revelation of you, of your heart, your character, your personality of you. So let us see more of you today and don't let us walk away unchanged this morning, we pray. In your precious name, King Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. What's the name of our series, our sermon series? You can heckle me a little bit today if you like. I don't mind hecklers as long as I win. That's fine. The bigger picture. Throughout this letter to the Ephesians, Paul has been writing to this church in Ephesus in modern day Turkey as we know it now. You can still see the site, you can still see the city. It's amazing, I've been there, it's incredible. You see where these people lived and worked and played and worshipped. And Paul writes to this church 2,000 years ago, nearly enough. And he's trying to explain to them what we've termed here, just for the sake to help you remember what it's all about, to remember the bigger picture. Everything is always related to the bigger picture. Paul has spent three chapters wading through our position in Christ, our possessions in Christ, and another chapter about why the church is founded a certain way, why Christ gave us the apostles and the prophets and the teachers and the pastors and the evangelists to help build the church in a certain way because it's always in light of this bigger picture. It's not all about us in our corner. It's about us being swept up into the great family of God. And then Paul spends the rest of chapter 4 into chapter 5 giving us some general terms of what that looks like. If you're living a life in the light of the bigger picture, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it will look like this. No slander, no greed, no anger, no malice, and no drunkenness, and so on. But then he whittles it down to three very important areas. John, a couple of weeks ago, was it now, shared to us about the subject of marriage. Uh, today we're going to look at family in terms of generations, parents and children. And then next week, Julian will be speaking to us about the workplace. And those are three vital elements of the skeleton of society, if you like. They're part of the backbone of society. The home for marriage and for family and for workplace as well. Right back in Genesis, Garden of Eden was about enjoying God's presence, about enjoying each other, about family and about work, in a good sense of work. Unfortunately, we thought we knew better and things got a bit messed up. 
But that's what Paul's trying to say. And today, once again, he just, we've just got four verses we're going to look at at the beginning of chapter 6. Let's read them now. Four simple, word, four simple verses on the subject of parents and children. And here Paul actually just pinpoints in one particular area and just gives us a real understanding. Now do you get what the bigger picture looks like? Here is some detail. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So Paul's been saying for previous few chapters, he's saying there's been a reversal. Death into life. You were once dead in your sin, separated from God. That's what death means, it's separation. Separated from God by our sin, our selfishness, from the perfect God. But he's brought us to life. We were dead, we couldn't make ourselves come alive again. Dead bodies can't do that. But he's brought us to life. And he's saying there is the same reversal as, it come, as, it, as that happens in our hearts. There should be the same this, uh, ripple effect, if you like, around us. Relationships around us in the workplace and so on. See, everything was, in Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, God declared it as very good. Marriage was the ideal. Family was the ideal. Workplace was the ideal. And like I say, we thought we knew better, and here we are. But God had already, already planned for that. And through his son, through Christ's perfect life, death on the cross and resurrection again, Jesus has made it possible to see marriages flourish, to see parents honoured, to see kids grow and thrive physically, emotionally and spiritually, to see the workplace transformed. These are all as God's values, his kingdom, his domain, where he gets to reign. Seeing these values worked out, lived out through us, his people, who place our dependency on him and not on ourselves, what we think we know better, or on others and what they think they know better. Because describing this can come across as a bit of an idyllic utopia, can't it? We certainly don't see it, but that's because this is a, still a planet full of selfish people, which starts with me. We're all selfish in many ways. That's what sin is. But this reversal from death to life also starts here. It's not just, Maggie was sharing about heaven, what heaven will be like. It's going to be incredible. It won't just be paves of, you know, streets of gold and singing hymns. There will be relationships and work and enjoyment and creativity and invention. It will be like life as we know it to the power of N. It's going to be incredible. But it doesn't just start then. It actually starts now. We're seeing echoes of it. We see rumbles of it. We see cracks in the darkness, the light shining through. As we live out God's values, as his people, led by his spirit, we see this happening now. Paul's saying, here's the bigger picture. Everything relates to it. If you want to see God's kingdom, his values, his freedom, his transforming power at work in your relationships, in your workplace, in your home, in your town, in your schools, in your church, this starts here, doesn't it? It's always in the context of the bigger picture. So this morning, here we are looking at parents and children. We may not all be parents, but please don't think there's nothing here for you. We are all, for a start, someone's kids. We all have parents. Whether they're alive or dead, they're all someone's children. And of course we can all be spiritual parents. I mentioned that again at the end. Spiritual parents, you can have an influence in a good, godly way 
on the generations that are coming up behind us. We all have something to share, don't we? But even more than that, if you've ever felt the pressure of parenthood, I know what it's like to raise an eight-year-old in the world that we currently see. She doesn't make it easy. I definitely don't make it easy. And the world doesn't make it easy. It's hard. It's hard. If you've ever felt that, or if you struggled with your upbringing, your background, if you've struggled with what you've been given in your history, there's something here for you as well. There's two principles here I want you to remember, two H's. You're looking down, you've worked out one, you can't work out what the other one is now, can't you? You're going to rack your brains. What's the other H? There's two H's here. One H for the kids, which is all of us, to be honest, and one H for parents. Both are elements of God's kingdom, his domain, his values, breaking out in a world that naturally gravitates towards self. And there's a reversal that Paul's trying to describe as we live a life led by the Spirit. We can all tend to resent elements of our upbringing, the parents we were given, or the things that were done to us, or the things that weren't done for us or even our current circumstances, we can sometimes resent it. It's always a temptation for any of us. But Paul here is demonstrating yet another example of when God's values do pay off. What was our purpose statement again? Living life, Jesus' way, by his spirit, on his mission, for his glory. That's exactly what Paul is talking about today. What does that look like? Here's one example. Two H's. First one, honour. Very good. Spotted that one, didn't you? Let's read the first three verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Honour your parents, honour your father and mother. What does honour mean? Have a guess. Describe it. What does honour mean? Respect. Respect. Very good. Revere, good one. Exactly, it means to respect them, to prize them, to revere them, to value them is a good word to remember. To value our parents. It goes against the grain of this world, to be honest. But it's actually at the core of what the Bible teaches us in general about conduct. See, our natural temptation could be, well, why should I honour X or Y? Why should I value them? I'll treat them when with respect when they've earned it. It's a natural tendency. But the Bible is actually saying, honour everyone. It's not selective. Don't let others' character defects determine your behaviour. Don't let other people's character traits affect how much you respect them or how much you love them. Honour them anyway. Value them anyway. Because actually, Christ loves you despite your character defects and my character defects. And so Paul's saying this starts at home. Honour everyone, that's what the Bible makes a point of. And that starts at home. But there's more. So that would be brilliant. Honour your parents. You go, yeah, I get that. It's good biblical value. Run with that. But God, as always, likes to put a bit of icing on the cake, doesn't he? What does it say? Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, which is that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's how it's spelled out in the Old Testament, the Old Jewish Scriptures. That promise was right there. That you may enjoy long life on the earth, that your days may be long. That does not mean the more you honour your parents, you get to live to 650. Neither does it mean every time you dishonour your parents, you lose a month's life expectancy or something. What he means by long life is about a life 
filled with God's presence and his favour. It's knowing God's blessing as you live out his values, as you value your parents, those that have gone before you, the previous generations. Honouring mum and dad enriches us and it matures us. Even when we don't feel like it, valuing those that have gone before us, the parents that God has given us, despite what they were like, and I understand that it's hard sometimes, but God is saying as you value them, it brings freedom to you, it matures you emotionally and spiritually, it makes a difference. And the blessing you receive as you step into that isn't just quantity of life, it's about quality of life. It affects you more than it affects them, to be honest, in many ways. It's about quality, not quantity. This does include honouring parents who have passed on. Your parents may have been Christian, they may not have been Christian, they may be alive, they may have passed away. But at no point does God tell us there comes a point where you're allowed to start dishonouring your parents. Regardless, honour your parents. Value the parents I gave you. How do we honour? If that's, what, if that's what it means, that's what Paul's saying. Saying, value your parents, and there's a promise, and there's a good reason why that promise is there. Because it brings freedom to you. How do we do that? It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Some parents are easier to honour. Others less so. Yeah. Hmm, exactly. It's real. This is real life. And that's what Paul's saying. He's not disregarding that. What if I don't consider my parents aren't worth honouring? What if they act dishonourably? What if they're not Christians and it's hard to put God first and honour them at the same time? Paul does say at the beginning, obey your parents and the Lord. But then when he goes on to say about valuing your parents, he's not saying when it goes against what God values as well. It's like in the workplace as well. Sometimes there's a struggle, sometimes there's a conflict, you need a lot of prayer to work through those situations. But generally speaking, it's hard sometimes to honour God first and honour your parents. That's when priorities come in. This is about valuing your parents. There's, there's a whole lot of... The teenage fiction market is massive these days. And there's a lot of stuff in there that is actually feeding bad values. One of the biggest, biggest set of books for teenage girls keeps preaching the message that you will be fulfilled when you get Mr. Right. You will be happy and content when you meet the love of your life. Actually, that's not true. That's not true at all. But there is another set of books called The Hunger Games, which actually I thought were excellent, excellently written, but really good Christian values. I don't think the author's a Christian. I've been researching. I don't think she is. But actually the values she's put in this book are good, strong Christian, moral, biblical values. And there's the heroine of this series. The first book's just come out as a, recently as a big film called itself called The Hunger Games. And there's, the heroine is only a teenage girl called Katniss. And it's in a futuristic... Um, uh, America, where she puts herself forward to fight for her life in an arena so she, so she can ensure that her family, her younger sister and her mum are provided for well for the rest of their lives. She, she sacrifices herself or risks sacrificing herself for the sake of her family. The problem is her mum, her dad has died many years ago and her mum as a result, she's mentally ill and she's, very, she's more than just a bit depressed. She's completely withdrawn. This is the mum who's withdrawn into herself and become a shell of herself. And she's more of an absence than a presence, to be honest. And Katniss resents her mum for it. Katniss has had to take on the mantle of being the head of the household. And she, she resents her mum for doing it. And she wants her mum, Mum, I want you to be my mum. I want you to lead me. I want you to look after us. I want you to provide for us, but I'm having to do it. And she resents her mum. She's quite open about it. 
She does resent her mum at first about it, but over time, she learns to go, you know what? She's still my mum. She's the mum I've been given. And she learns to actually value her, despite her mum's illness, despite her mum's choices. She learns to value her mum anyway. And throughout these three books, actually, healing comes to her mum, to the relationship, and her mum actually, to a degree, gets well and is able to go out and start practising her medical skills and blessing other people again. And a lot of that has come through Katniss going, I resented you for your choices and for your illness, but then I chose not to. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here. It's the same thing. It's remembering we are all in the same boat. We are all broken. We are all in need of a saviour. Parents and kids, whatever generation, we are all sinners. Not just you, not just them, all of us. So what is the the Lord's Prayer? When Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray, he gives them an example, what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And when he talks about forgiveness, what does he say? Forgive us as what? As we forgive others. See, it's valuing other people. Peter Scazzaro is an American pastor. He's also an author. And he writes this. He's referring to Joseph, the classic story, even if you don't know the Bible story, you know, way, way back, many centuries ago and all that. There's Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat. And Joseph's upbringing was actually quite harsh, the way his, his, actually his, his family treated him. But Joseph reflected in it from a completely different perspective. Peter Scazzaro, he says this, God commands us to honour our parents. And as an adult, I believe this means we respect and thank God for them. I would broaden that to include thanking God for our story, for our past, and for the place, time and family into which we were born. God's intention is that you too will thank him for the good and the bad. People may have harmed you. You may have made some bad choices yourself. But remember what Joseph learned after being betrayed by his brothers for most of his adult life. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of so many lives. God transformed, renewed, reversed his upbringing in such a great way it brought blessing to well, actually, multitudes, millions. See, honouring parents means thanking God for them. God isn't responsible for their actions if they have let you down. They are. But God can transform that upbringing and use it in such a great way. Honouring parents means valuing them despite their character defects, if necessary. We are called to be different. We are called to value all people. Honouring parents means knowing it's God who judges when they have let us down. But honouring parents also brings quality of life. It brings freedom. And if you want to pray through any of that later on, I and others would be happy to. We'll make some space to pray with people if necessary later on. That's honouring parents, valuing parents, whether they're with us today or not. That's the first H. I'll reflect back on that later. The second H. What's the second H? Verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do not exasperate your children. What's the difference between anger and exasperation? 
The son once asked his dad, Dad, what's the difference between anger and exasperation? <coughs> he goes, I'll show you, son. So he picks up the phone, dials a random number. The guy goes, hello? He goes, hello, yes, I'd like to speak to Robert, please. He goes, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong number. Yeah, OK, puts the phone down. He goes, watch this. Redial. Yes, hello, I'd like to speak to Robert, please. They go, no, 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 I just told you, you've got the wrong number. There's no Robert here. OK, thanks. Redial. Yes, hello, I'd like to speak to Robert, please. No, no, I've told you, there is no Robert here. OK, puts the phone down. This goes on a number of times, dozen times. He goes, one, one last time, which is redial. Hello, I'd like to, like to speak to Robert, please. There is no Robert here. Will you please stop pestering me? Puts the phone down. He goes, son, that's anger. Watch this. Redial. Yes, hello, it's Robert here. Have you got any messages for me? Ah! <laughs> that's exasperation. It's provocation. It's stirring and provoking and poking. If we weren't capable of this, then Paul wouldn't have said it. Amy and I know how to press each other's buttons. Very, very, very quickly. Mum's smirking. We know how to exasperate each other, that final dig. And when I'm trying to discipline Amy, and when in fact I know I'm right, but there's a voice in me going, don't have the last word. Don't, just, just don't, it will explode. Yeah, but I'm right. I know I'm right, and I'm the dad. I've got to have the last Don't do it. And I do it, and it just backfires horrendously. That's exasperation. The opposite of exasperation is help. There's the other H. Honour and help. Help means to aid, to nurture. See, Paul's given us a negative, do not exasperate. Turn it into a positive, help them. He's saying, don't be the fly in the ointment. Even when you know you're right, be the ointment. Very different. Paul is addressing the responsibility of fathers in particular. He does say, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. But that doesn't diminish the contribution of mums in this at all. And sometimes, for whatever reason, sometimes mums have to be the head of the household. He's not dishonouring that, but he's actually telling the men to man up because sometimes they don't when they are around. He's saying, guys, don't leave all the parenting to your wives, for starters. I've seen that. That sometimes happens. He said, but don't be the tyrant either. Good cop, bad cop. Dad's at work. When dad gets home, oh, you'll have it. The kids just end up fearing the dad and just end up going to mum for solace all the time. I wouldn't want to be a dad that Amy can't come to for help. He's actually saying, guys, man up. Share the discipline, share the decisions, but guys, if you're around, you've got to take responsibility. (coughs) For single parents, I understand that. It can be even harder. I understand that. I haven't experienced it, but I can understand how shouldering the load must be immense. It's bad enough with me and Jenny together, but God is there for us. Throughout the Psalms, he litters it. Psalm 146, verse 9 says, The Lord sustains the fatherless and the widow. Was it Psalm 68, verse 5? Father to the fatherless. No one's left alone. If you think there aren't single parents in the Bible, there are. Read the story of Hagar. God still honours. You may find yourself a lone parent due to circumstances out of your control. You may find yourself a lone parent because husband's away a lot with work. I know people who are happily married, but because of work, he's taken away quite a lot. She's effectively a single mum. Sometimes dads are around, but they're absent emotionally. And they're not involved. And Paul's saying, guys, man up. Someone needs to leave the home. That's fine. Paul's not ignoring that fact. And not just organisationally, but spiritually too. 
So we come to how do we help? That's what help looks like. How do we do it? How do we do it? A few practical points for starters. Encouragement is a massive thing. There's not always enough of it in the church. Paul talks about it in Romans 1. I might come to you that I might encourage you. Encouragement is a massive pillar of the church. It makes a big difference. I can be quick to jump at Amy when I see her doing wrong and forget to keep filling her with encouragement the rest of the time. I say in everyday common conversation around us today, there is an average ratio of criticism to encouragement of six to one. Just naturally, we don't even realise we're doing it. We can be quick to moan about what the government has done rather than praising them when we spot something when they do do well. Or leaders, or friends, or neighbours, or whoever. We just do it naturally. Because the world we live in and our hearts, by many, by many means, naturally gravitate towards self when we think about it from our point of view. Six to one, criticism to encouragement. That needs to be reversed. In fact, I wouldn't put a figure on how many encouragements. Don't go for six for every one little bit of feedback you need to give. And when you do critique, make sure it's constructive. But for every time we need to bring constructive criticism at home, for example, with children, that needs to be flooded with encouragement either side all the time. I need to remind myself that every time I see Amy doing something well, I need to tell her. And I try and do it here as well, Coffee and Chaos and Cell Group and that. I like to try and say to people, well done, thanks for that. Steve always says that. But I like to do it on purpose because it makes a difference. It feeds, very important, it feeds God's values and we mustn't forget. Encourage our kids, help them. Absolutely, all the time. It's always good to keep encouraging and helping people. Another one, the book of Proverbs, about teaching and instruction. The whole book of Proverbs is a, is a book about a father teaching a son. Which proves that wise instruction will always be tied to scripture when it boils down to it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, the classic about teaching our children in the ways of the Lord. Teach them diligently. When, when is it? Not just at certain windows. It's when you sit, when you walk, when you lie, when you rise, when you rest. At all times. I just like to feed it into conversation. I'm sitting down watching the telly with Amy when we're out for a walk. I just let the conversation flow and talk about God and what he's done for us and how I work things out and just let it kind of seep through like a drip feed. Because Paul, even here, he, spe- he specifies it. doesn't just leave it to do not exasperate your children. He then goes, instead, is a good alternative, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's not just training and instruction as in don't do this and do that. It's also the training and instruction that we've received ourselves. We get to pass it on. It's a legacy, generation to generation. But not just any old training and instruction, not just how to be respectful, how to cook, how to do the banking, how to live independently. It's also talking about finding how to find their contentment in him how to find their hope in him, how to find their eternal security in him. It's got to be keep pointing towards Jesus. I can teach Amy how to live independently, be a good wife, be a good mum, and she still doesn't know Christ. What's the point? I failed. I need to keep pointing her towards Jesus, towards the Lord. And that starts by leading by example as well. None of this, don't do as I do, do as I say. No, back it up with action. I'm no paragon of virtue and I'm just as prone to sin as my daughter. But I need to lead by example in how I work out 
living a life for Christ. And I need to let her see that. When I struggle, when I'm trying to get my head around things, talk it through with her. Let her see what it means in real life to live a life with Christ. Helping our kids includes prayer as well. Prayer is so powerful. There is nothing like the privilege of praying over a sleeping child. I love waiting until she's asleep and creeping in, laying hands on her, praying over her, especially when she's having seasons of trouble at school or with friends or various other things. Jenny as well, pray over your spouse. I like to be sneaky and wait till she's gone to sleep. I keep myself awake and I can pray over her. We pray together as well. But sometimes there's nothing, nothing quite like the privilege of doing it. In fact, there was one time Jenny was having a really hard time for about six months and I spent six months of praying over her at night. I did some night shifts in between, but if I was around, this isn't bigging me up, this is proving what God can do. Praying over her every night I was there while she was asleep. The difference it made. Seriously, I'll put all the change around down to that prayer that God does all that work. Praying over them. And there's a good encouragement when we have to take the lead of the household spiritually, I love Psalm 128. I always cling to it. I spoke to a friend recently who phoned me up who was having some problems at home. We prayed through and over Psalm 128 for his household. It says this, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labour. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife, your spouse, will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons and daughters will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. It's not just for men, that's for single parents as well, because he says right at the beginning, blessed are all who fear the Lord. As we find our delight in him, and we seek after him, and we pray, and we spend time with him, seeking his guidance, and being filled with his spirit, it affects our household. It makes a difference. Absolutely. Prayer makes a massive, massive difference. Do you remember how honouring brings blessing? So does helping our kids. Brings blessing, brings fruit, brings prosperity. And it brings them back round on each other. Honouring our parents helps our kids learn kingdom values. We model it, lead by example. But also helping our kids teaches them to honour us in return. I'd rather be a parent, like I said, it'd be easy to honour the one who isn't. Honouring the generations before helps the generations to come to learn by example and vice versa as well. That's the two H's. Honour and help. Easy to remember. This is all something very, very dear to God's heart. We have a Father in heaven. There's a reason why he's called that. As Christians, we get to call him Abba Father, as Paul says, Romans 5. Abba Father, Papa Daddy. There's that awe and that intimacy. He's a, we revere him, but we also get to sit on his lap. He's our Father. Even right at the beginning, in early days of Israel's history, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, Moses reminds the people of Israel, he says, The Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. Fatherhood is on God's heart, always has been. And so, following that example, Jesus the Son, also being God, exemplifies that and lives out of the same heart. He still has the same thing of family on his heart. 
There are instances in the Bible when it appears he doesn't have a high view of family. For example, the word hate comes up at one point. Three, three points in the Gospel. Matthew 12, Mark 10, Luke 14. There's these instances of him declaring spiritual brothers and sisters as more important than family. And he even uses this word hate. We read that with modern eyes and we get the wrong understanding. He's not saying, now you're a Christian, you don't have anything to do with your family, you go off with the church. He's not saying that at all. It's all about context, it's about priorities. What he means by that word in that context in those days is saying, don't disown your earthly family, but don't let them be God either. I know people who have openly declared to me that family is everything to them, and if they lose that, they've got nothing. That's idolatry. That's letting your family be God, your source of ultimate contentment and joy. All God is saying is value your family, honour your family, but don't let that blind you to letting him be number one in your life. That's what Jesus was saying. It's about priorities, isn't it? If you put God first, family relationships flourish as a result. It's the other way around. Mark chapter 7, Jesus proves it yet again. He tears a strip off the Pharisees, some of the local religious leaders of the time. He te- the things he calls them, tears an absolute strip off them because they are allowing their traditions, it's selfishness, they're allowing their traditions to keep wealth to themselves so they can avoid paying and caring for needy parents. Jesus hates that. Tears an absolute strip off them. And then the obvious in Matthew chapter 19, he says, let the children, what? Come to me. Don't hinder them. The kingdom is theirs as well. It's not just for the grown-ups, in inverted commas, who don't act grown-up most of the time. Let the children come. He loves them. But what's even better than that is that Jesus had family in mind when he was on the cross. John chapter 19. He's hanging on the cross. He's dying. The pain he must have been going through, the agony. I'm surprised he could still talk. Crucifixion brings asphyxiation. It crushes the lungs. I'm surprised he had enough breath. But family was so strongly on his heart, he saw his mum Mary standing there. He saw John, his best friend, just a way off. And he says to Mary, Dear woman, here's your son. And he says to John, Here's your mum. Look after her. And John took Mary into his care. Jesus was around. He rose again, obviously, 30-odd hours later. And he was around for 40 days. But he knew he was going to heaven and he wanted his mum to be cared for. This is his biological, earthly mum. She's a woman of faith. She's commended for it. She brings him into the world. She cares for him until he's old enough to be his own man. She'll be commemorated in scripture and in the future. Job done. No? No. Jesus wants to care for her and honour her. He values her as his earthly mum. So he makes sure she is cared for for the rest of her remaining days on this planet. I'd actually suggest, this is just my assumption, I'd, I'd suggest that's one reason why John was the one disciple who wasn't martyred. He was exiled instead to live out the rest of his days on the island of Patmos so he could care for Mary. I suggest it's part of the reason. Jesus had family in his heart when he was on the cross. If you've, do you feel the pressure of parenthood in this world? I do. Do you feel the pressure of caring for elderly parents? That may be coming for me, I don't know. 
God takes that pressure. His burden is light. His burden is light. He doesn't sleep, so you can. We can feel the stress, we can feel the strain of the pressures and the expectations on us. He allows you to rest. So you can do well in the times you're awake. You're allowed to sleep, you're allowed to turn your brain off, you're allowed to find your rest in him. He doesn't sleep, so he's always at work. And you can rely on that. He can open doors for us when we see no way out. Be that financially, practically, geographically, whatever reason that might be. He, he provides a way. Prayer is powerful. Talk it through with people, with brothers and sisters, pray through it with people. Talk to him about it. Do you feel guilty for any mistakes you may have made as a parent? Or as a son or a daughter? In him, we find no guilt and no shame. Christ doesn't just sweep our shame to one side, our guilty mistakes, and go, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. But he deals with it, personally, on the cross and takes away that guilt and shame and replaces it with approval as his kindred, his brothers and sisters, children of the Father. He loves you and he gave himself for you. Don't cling on to the guilt because you deserve to feel guilty. Let it go and live a life of freedom for Christ. Maybe you can't see how you can make much of a difference in your child's behaviour. It's hard sometimes. They get kind of sucked into a vortex sometimes. You, how can I help? How can I work this out? They're with the wrong people and I can't keep them away with these peers. And it could be any number of reasons. It's Jesus who brings transformation. Pray for them, pray over them, pray with them if possible. Teach them, instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Point to him in your own struggles. Show how you're working it out. Ground it in real life. Let them see that. Don't be holy of them now. Talk to them about it. Talk to them about him. And be humble as well. Be ready to say sorry. I have to learn that sometimes. I want Amy to see me ready to say sorry. So she learns it by example. Or maybe you're struggling to get over the loss of a parent or child. Either may that be through death. Maybe just broken relationship. The death of a relationship. They're still alive but you're not allowed to see them anymore for whatever reason. It's painful and it's real. Jesus suffered the disdain of the Father while he was on the cross when he took on our sin. He became our sin. He became our curse. He suffered that. He experienced that. And the Father suffered and experienced the death of his own son in that same moment. They know what it feels like. They get it. They're not aloof. They understand. But in that same moment, Jesus tore down the wall of sin between God and man for anyone who places their trust in him. Simple as that. Only he can obliterate the barrier of selfishness that loves to party inside us. Only Jesus can do that. And then with his help, with his Holy Spirit, relationships can be restored. Memories can be honoured. Backgrounds and upbringings can be redeemed, can be rescued, can be used for good. Parents can be valued. Children can be led to eternal hope and security and contentment in him. Living a life that revels in him and lets his kingdom come. It's possible, but it's only in him. It's always got to be. Both honouring and helping brings blessing because they're God's values and he holds them very dearly. Honouring the generations that have gone before and helping the kids that are still to come. 
helping the generations that are still on their way. And this is where, again, spiritual parenting comes in. We've got a wealth of experience and wisdom, godly love here that we can share around across the generations. Don't write yourself off. You've got a lot to offer. We all have. A friend of mine, she couldn't have children for many, many years. Couldn't have kids. They even had the tests, stuff like that. And she really struggled with that. I spoke to her once about the verse that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We talked to that through and afterwards. I felt a bit bad actually because I was belittling her situation. I didn't mean it that way. But afterwards she, 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 she remembers and she hasn't forgotten and she appreciated it at the time because she learnt to delight herself in the Lord. For her to be happy was to have a child. And then she realised for whatever reason that wasn't happening, she had to learn to find her happiness in him. And actually she became a spiritual mum. She had a number of spiritual daughters, young women she discipled and raised and taught and nurtured and they flourished as a result. She had a number of daughters and she found her contentment in that and then she got pregnant. (laughs) God honoured it. But spiritual parenting brings massive blessing in the world, in the church. It's something worth valuing so much. Valuing the generations that have gone before, helping the generations that are still to come. If you want prayer for any of that, I guess there's a number of reasons. And I'll be here, perhaps if Julian and maybe Fred Norris or someone can help us if, if more people want it. We'll just see what happens. But we're going to finish in a sec. I'm going to pray. We'll have refreshments out the back. If you want prayer for anything, or maybe during the week, give us a shout. But don't just walk away from here and not deal with God about it. It's good to make that step, to make that decision to speak to God and spend some time with him if he's touched your heart on anything. Honouring and helping. Let's pray. God, I thank you that over the recent past you've been reminding us of the word family just here at Beacon alone because it's something that's on your heart. And Lord, again today as we focus on, on that subject, Lord, we pray you'll help us to honour your values well, to value our parents, to help our children, whether they physical or spiritual. Lord, we thank you for our backgrounds. We thank you for the upbringings you've given us because you can and do use them for good. Lord, help us to use them for good. We give them over to you. Lord, we want to be used by you because we want to see you ever, ever more at work in this town. There are so many young people in this town who don't know what to do and they just end up getting into trouble or they just sit around getting drunk. Lord, it's because they haven't had this exemplified, they haven't known your security and your hope. Lord, help us to reach them, help us to meet them, help us to get to know them, help us to point the way to you. But Lord, we always need your help in our own personal lives and helping the lives around us. But Lord, increasingly, we want to honour you as our great Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Jesus, the Son, we thank you. We give you all the glory. Help us to live life your way, by your Spirit, on your mission for your glory, because it's all about you and it always has to be. In your precious name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. Like I say, if you want a prayer, come and find us.
We'll grab a few more people if we need to.